What's going on, you rogues, rumbles, and renegades? Welcome to a brand new episode of the Rogue Country Podcast, episode 69, with the one and only Jesse Daniel. You know we love Jesse Daniel. We are bringing him over for his first ever UK tour. We get into that, but first, a word from our sponsor. Today, we are brought to you by Pick Print Screen Printing. They're a Liverpool-based, family-run hand screen printing company, and I love these guys. They do my t-shirts. They do the Rogue Country t-shirts. They do Josh Bettis' t-shirts. So if you need band merch, workwear business uniforms club or sports team wears or apparel lines please get in touch with them they use eco-friendly inks it's all done by hand and they're just an incredible company to wear with i love them and you should go support them so keep it rogue and use pick print screen printing in liverpool and if you want to keep it rogue we are bringing you the best country and root shows in the uk of course we have the mighty jesse daniel play in london on the 14th of august Swansea on the 15th of August and Birkenhead on the 16th of August. London is completely sold out. Birkenhead is half sold out. Swansea is selling well. You do not want to miss these. Also in August, we are bringing the incredible Tommy Prine to the Swinging Arm in Birkenhead on the 30th of August. And we aren't stopping there. You know we're doing the Hank 100 shows in September. On September 17th, on the Sunday, we are doing an all-day of the Swinging Arm in Birkenhead. And we are doing an amazing event at the Bunkhouse in Swansea. Both on the same day, tickets are available for the Swansea show right now in our link tree. And we are not stopping there, guys. We are so proud to be bringing the local honeys to Future Yard Birkenhead on the 9th of November. And you can get tickets for that now. Again, they are all through our link tree. You can link it through the podcast, find the tickets, and support incredible country music. But we are not selfish. We want to share the love. We want to share the incredible gigs that are happening that we don't have a hand in, but we love to see them happening. Rustic Stomp Festival is happening on the 14th to the 16th of July. The lineup is sick. You do not want to miss it. Pat Reedy is still traveling around Europe and in the UK. He is playing What's Cooking in London on the 21st, Leeds on the 22nd, and then on the 23rd of June, this is the best lineup, in my opinion, that Pat's going to be playing on. The Underground in Bradford. He's playing there with Chris Dover and Jody Davis. They are lovely people. That's going to be an incredible gig, so make sure you get your tickets. Band Banda opening for Reverend Payton's Big Damn Band on the 18th of July in Leeds. There is so much amazing country music happening, and it's because of you people listening and supporting and buying tickets that it all gets to happen. So thank you. Of course, we aren't stopping there in the rogue country world. If you want to support us, you can buy our t-shirts or our mugs at our band camp. Again, it's all linked through the podcast, so you can look stylish and support independent country music while you're at it or while you're having your favorite coffee or your favorite cup of tea you can support rogue country and have a rogue country mug isn't that the good stuff but without further ado let's get down to it this has been a podcast i've wanted to happen for ages i still can't believe we're getting to work with jesse daniel on his first ever uk tour that is a phenomenal thing that we get to be a part of and we're just so happy to be bringing him to the uk we get into that we get into the sopranos we get into songwriting we get into his independent label die true records this is a phenomenal chat and i'm so happy that i got to chat to jesse before he comes over in august and i cannot wait to meet him in the flesh with jody his songwriting partner it's going to be epic so without further ado this is episode 69 of the rogue country podcast with mike west and jesse daniel cool so we're rolling and thanks so much for making the time today it's fitting i expected greenery to be behind you for some reason just to have that oh yeah luscious forest behind you yeah i thought i'd go outside for this one hopefully it's uh, not too loud out there we've got a lot of trucks driving by right now 
Uh, not too bad. Um, so how's the shows lately been treating you? You were in Nashville the other day. Yeah, just uh, la- you know, just a few days ago, we were in Nashville. Um, damn, they've been really good, man. We Nashville was crazy. We had Dennis Quaid come out to the the show. Uh, mm-hmm. Kind of blew my mind. Um, the shows have been awesome. You know, we did the West Coast this year, and that's where I'm from. So getting back there mm-hmm. to play those shows were awesome. We did the Midwest this year, um, and then kind of just did, you know, Nashville, Kentucky, Indiana. Mm-hmm. And we're just gearing up for uh, all kinds of stuff, man. The shows have been great. Oh, amazing. I'm with kind of West Coast, East Coast, South, obviously being from California, do you find there's much of a difference between like the country crowds as you play across the country? Oh yeah, definitely. There's a, there's a big difference, you know, to like uh, places like Texas are very specific. Like they have their own demographic of people. Um, California also has its own uh, demographic. A lot of people don't know, but California is very uh, rural, you know, Mm, in a lot of places, a lot of farming, a lot of rodeo. And uh, there's a lot of country people in California. So in a way, they're similar. But, uh, you know, there's there's kind of minute differences every place you go. And um, and I love it. I just love, you know, meeting different kinds of people and touring all around. So that's kind of one of the cool things about what we do is we get to meet a lot of different kinds of people and uh, see different places. So. No, awesome. And with those like minute differences, were they in the fact that when you recorded your live album at the Catalyst, was that always where you wanted to record? Or did you have like, you know, I wanted to do it in Texas? Did you have like plan B's or C's maybe that you were thinking of and you know what kind of came together? You know, it was always the Catalyst, I think, that I wanted to do yeah. just because that's where I'm from. Mm. You know, Santa Cruz, California, that area. And uh those people kind of really helped lift me up uh, early in my career to, to help us get to the point we're at now. And uh, that was kind of my springing board to, mm. to the rest of the country. You know, they built me up, they came to those shows and um, supported me over the years to the point where uh, we were able to do things like make that live record. And so I, it was kind of a no brainer. I wanted to definitely do it at the catalyst uh, cause you know, those are my hometown hometown people. Yeah, no, amazing. And like hearing them singing back, even on the first track of Tar Snakes, it's just goosebumps. So you definitely made the right decision. Yeah, yeah, I'm very glad we did that. It was, uh, it was incredible, man. And with, was that just basically recorded over one night? Cause I know, you know, I'm a huge Kiss fan and Kiss's live mm-hmm. albums aren't really live albums in any sense. It's, you know, copy sure. and pasted from like five different shows. Was it all just recorded at the one set for yourself? And, you know, what happens, happens. Yeah. Yeah, it was, man. That, that, uh, you know, we had to kind of narrow down, uh, 12 songs from this, for the live record from the whole set. Cause we played, uh, I think closer to, you know, 25 or 30 mm. songs, but it was, um, hard, you know, to listen back and kind of narrow down which ones you wanted. Uh, there was some feedback on some of them and, uh, some of the songs were, you know, better than others and whatnot, but, mm. uh, it was essentially exactly how we played it is, is how you hear it. You know, there wasn't no funny business no. going on. Yeah. <laughs> no. Cause I remember, I think it was like the first kiss album kiss alive. And they talk about how they added proud, like cheers in between oh, yeah. and people, stuff. People and, do that. Yeah. And they fucked with guitar solos and stuff. And you know, it, it shatters the illusion a bit when you grow up, like loving these bands 
But right. you know, from everything I could hear of yours, it's just it sounds so natural and so ready to go. You really did such a fucking stellar job of capturing a live sound for you guys. Oh, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, all all of those uh, crowd sounds are all one hundred percent real, yeah. you know. And so that was uh yeah, couldn't have thought of a better place to do it. You know, I'm glad it turned out the way it did. And were there any live albums that like you were kind of had as like touchstones when you were thinking about recording this or any favorite live albums that you remember, you know, just adoring as like a music fan and it kind of informed this album? Yeah, definitely. There's a, let's see, as far as live albums go, um, I really love, you know, the live albums that Buck Owens has Mm. had done, you know, those ones are great. Um, there's one where he, I can't remember. It's, I think it's just Buck Owens live at the nugget casino. Mm. And, uh, that record's really great. Um, the Carnegie hall record is great. Um, there's some pretty incredible Buck and Merle, you know, sets that they Mm. captured. And what inspired me with those is that they were kind of untouched, like all mistakes and everything. (laughs) Like they just, it was the way that it was. And they were such, amazing musicians that they just you know turned out incredible yeah so really those were kind of the two guys that really inspired me the most with the live record you know Mm, no that's so cool i'm with buck owens and mel and stuff i know i read that like a neighbor introduced you to buck owens a long time ago what was it about buck and then about mel that kind of really hooked you in because you know obviously they're huge for a reason they're legends for a reason but each person seems to have like an individual hook into why they actually love them. It varies so much from person to person. Yeah. I'd say with, uh, with Merle Haggard, it was, you know, first the fact that I loved his, his music and, uh, you know, he's just such an incredible songwriter. Um, he has an incredible voice. He was kind of the whole package to me. Mm -hmm. Like he had it all. He had that star quality as well as being, you know, an incredible performer, songwriter, singer. And, uh, and then when I learned that he was also from California, he's from my home state, and he kind of represented that. He was a a guy that we could be proud of, you know what mm, I mean? He kind yeah. of represented, especially in a time when a lot of the rest of our country is divided and people talk bad about California, you know, for various reasons. Um, so that made me proud. I was like, here's this guy making good country music from my my home state. And uh, I also felt the same way about Buck Owens, but um, I love Buck's music because of a lot of the instrumental factors, like mm. the guitar. Uh, you can't find twangier, drier, <laughs> uh, just barroom music than some of the bu- early Buck Owens stuff. And uh, him and Don Rich were, yeah. you know, huge influences on me as far as like my guitar playing and all that. Mm. And was that, because I know you kind of grew up or you were into punk music as a kid. What, mm-hmm. did you used to play guitar in punk bands and things? I did, yeah. I played uh, I played both guitar and drums, uh, mostly drums. That was my first instrument was playing the drums and uh, played in a lot of different punk bands doing that. And then I played guitar in a couple different bands as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I love that music. Uh, punk rock music i think that there's a lot of similarities between country and punk rock yeah you know being that they're both honest forms of music you know they're really honest they're kind of emotive you know there's there's usually an emotional theme that goes along with a song or a country song 
and uh you know sonically they're a little different you know one <laughs> is distorted and fast and the other can usually be a little bit more cleaned up but uh i just think there's a whole lot of similarity with the two so hmm. no definitely like three chords and the truth applies to both and there's such exactly. pure expressions of what's happening to someone at that time yeah that's the truth that's the truth man but switching from drums to guitar was buck owens and don rich was that an influence in that transition or did that come later and you know because i know you play like fender acoustics and fender guitars and obviously don rich and buck you know famously played those as well were they driving forces in that style oh definitely yeah i'd say um you know them and also my my dad is a musician also Mm. he always played fender guitars and so kind of just growing up in California also Fender is uh, a California company. So mm. that's kind of like the, the guitars that everybody plays out there, you know, and they, they're kind of synonymous with country music, the Telecaster, you know, yeah. everybody, all the country guys play them. And so it's kind of a natural choice, but in the playing, uh, you know, I grew up kind of learning blues, blues scales, stuff like that. And then, as I got more and more into country in my teen years, uh, kind of just naturally went in the country direction. Mm. It's a little bit of a hillbilly mix up of all, all different kinds of music, you know? Yeah. Well, that's the best thing. And what I really respect about you is, you know, you say you play my kind of country and I think, you know, people can interpret country music to mean so many different things. It's a widespread genre, but you really oh, yeah. plant your flag and make such a unique, sound while still paying homage and tribute to what's come before it's a really delicate balance that you've struck that and i think that's why a lot of people respect what you do oh thank you man that means a lot appreciate that no but with kind of fusing those i know billy joe shaver was a big influence on you and you have such incredible story songs like clayton was a cowboy or champion outside of kind of country music do you have like literary influences that have kind of inspired those or you know even movies and tv that have you know, because there's so many of your songs that could be made into, you know, books or comics or films or TV. Do you have that like sensibility and influence? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. You know, I I grew up reading a lot. Um, you know, I read all the books that they kind of require you to read in school. Mm. Um, you know, I really enjoyed reading as a kid. Uh, I remember reading like murder mystery stories when I was a kid <laughs> a lot. Uh, we found a big stack of can't remember if it was hardy boys or some other like old school uh kind of mystery duo type books and i used to just kind of devour those things and read those um i loved uh books like you know to kill a mockingbird uh kind of all the classics and whatnot and films also you know i love movies uh shows i love anything with a good story and i think that stuff all kind of has helped to form the way that i write songs Mm. Um, as well as listening to guys like you said, Billy Joe Shaver and uh, Tom T. Hall and, uh, you know, Merle Haggard, all yeah. those guys are storytellers. So, Have there been any recent films or TV shows that have not necessarily inspired you, but really grabbed you lately? Man, I'm a, I'm a late bloomer with this one, but I've been getting into The Sopranos, oh. uh, watching that show recently. <laughs> and uh, my dad, my dad and my brother are both really into uh mafia movies you know they, they love all that good fellas and godfather and so i was like you know what i haven't seen this so i'll give it a try and uh it is an incredible show to anybody who hasn't seen it yet what i think like 20 25 years later 
Yeah. It's still a good show. You should check it out. So this is your first time watching The Sopranos? First time ever, yeah. Have you finished it yet, or are you still going through it? No, we're about halfway through, I think. What a treat. I only watched it for the first time a few years ago. I've got it on Blu-ray, oh, yeah. and I, I keep seeing like Sopranos memes pop up lately, and I'm like, I need to rewatch this fucking thing, because it's so good. <laughs> it is. It's It's incredible. Those are the types of shows and movies that I like that really develop a character. Yeah. You know, and you get to know those people. And that's kind of similar in songwriting for me. Like, those are the songs that I like is, um, you know, the descriptive things that they can fit into two and a half, three minutes. Yeah. This intricate story, you know, that's kind of a, that's a crazy skill to be able to do. And I'm always trying to, trying to, to get better and perfect that as much as I can. Well, with obviously that brings you on. I was going to ask about character development because obviously Sopranos had six seasons to kind of develop Tony Soprano. You had three minutes to develop Champion or Clayton. When you're writing one of those stories, do you already have the person envisioned in your head and you're like, I need to describe X or Y in the first like line or two to really get people to care about this because, you know, you don't have the six seasons to have someone fall in love with a character you've got you know, 15 seconds, really, if you don't want someone to, like, not pay attention. Yeah. You know, that is that is kind of a tricky thing with songwriting. You've got to uh, get people's attention off the bat. And I think, you know, one thing that I try to do with my music is uh, because I, I co-produce everything I've ever done. You know, I'm... Mm. I write all of the, the riffs, all of the guitar parts, you know, down to like what the steel guitar does i kind of have my vision for it and i can't always articulate it myself Mm. but like i'll I'll show the people how to play it basically and i try to make uh whatever kind of music is going on uh in the very beginning whatever kind of instrumentals i try to have it be really melody driven Mm. and Mm. kind of tie into what the melody of what the hook of the song is you know and I feel like that's a good whenever I'm listening to country music, if there's a really cool, simple lick in the beginning of the song that imitates what the chorus sounds like, mm. uh, that kind of draws me in. And I think it always has for people. That's kind of a little secret. And uh, so I just try to make things interest, interesting and, um, you know, musically to back up what the story is. And that's kind of I think the best that I could describe kind of what I do with that. Yeah. No, definitely. And with kind of co-producing, there's such an intricacy to that type of thing. Do you have any, like, advice or do you have when you go in, it's like you, you've you got this thing that you're trying to relate to people, but do you have sounds that you're like, we need to hit this and we need to, you know, leave that at the door? Do you have that, mm-hmm. like, as an overarching theme or do you go album by album for that kind of vibe? You know, I've got... Uh kind of both you know mm. i for every album uh it's obviously different you you try not to make the same album twice but uh you know i've definitely got my my style you know and the way that i like things to sound and it's taken years to kind of develop that you know mm. playing live and making records uh to kind of get all of those influences and uh kind of project them outward and have it be authentically yeah. you know myself I feel like, you know, in the beginning, every artist is just kind of emulating what they love, you know, and what they mm-hmm. what they grew up listening to and who they want to be. And so, you know, when we make records now, I try to uh, 
like you said, have kind of an overarching like uh, general style and theme, you know, that we go for. That is that is my my kind of country, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, every album's got its own heartbeat and you know soul and all that. No, awesome. And I assume the next record's a mafia murder mystery. That's it, exactly. It's like a concept. Yeah, man, don't tempt me. That's a good idea. <laughs> that is a good idea. With him playing live, obviously you've been touring around America. You're coming over to Europe and for July and August. Have you played over in Europe and the UK before? No, I've never been to Europe, so uh, I've always wanted to go. I'm really looking forward to getting over there. And I've heard our uh, London show is sold out already, which is, it is. pretty incredible i can't even believe that uh so yeah i'm really thankful to the people that have uh, got tickets and i can't wait to get over there i'm with it yeah i'm with it being a duo show as opposed to a full band for the uk is that something you kind of factor in with jody and you guys talk about compared to you know the live at the catalyst experience and even in europe you're playing with a band do you have kind of a game plan or an idea of how you want to orchestrate the set in a way for when you come over and do these three shows oh yeah yeah definitely we always try to uh kind of tailor the set to whatever uh setting it is you know like if we're doing a solo setting or a duo or a trio uh, i try to fit more of the songwriter mm. kind of story songs in there and uh i obviously i like to do that too with the band but i try to fit more uh, a little bit more bangers, I guess, as the kids <laughs> say, you know, the, the real hard hitting uh, tunes into a full band set so that, you know, I get to let the band show off a little bit mm. and uh, put on an energetic show. So it's cool. We're going to get to do a little bit of both in Europe. Mm. We'll do full, some full band stuff. And then I think all the uh, UK dates are duo, mm-hmm. yeah. but we will be back with the full band. No, amazing. I'm with coming over to Europe and the UK for the first time. Do you have any kind of hopes in terms of like touristy stuff? Because I know it's hard where, as a tour musician, you kind of fly by and through towns and things. So is there any yeah. hoping to try and catch? Because I know you're doing like France and Spain and you come into the UK. Yeah. Yeah, man. We definitely want to do all the touristy stuff we can because <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, we don't get a lot of time to see cool stuff you know we always joke around that it's you get to see a gas station bathroom in every town you know you're just seeing gas stations and green rooms and uh so i want to see um i would love to go through you know paris see the eiffel tower um there's a bunch of stuff in england that i want to check out jody's already got kind of a list of things that we wanted (laughs) to try to do uh but yeah if there's any time i definitely want to check out uh all the scenery we can. Mm. I would love to do some uh, some fishing while I'm over there in Europe because uh, my birthday is on August 5th. I think we'll be in Spain. I'm pretty oh, sure. Cool. And so I'm going to see if I might be able to do some Spanish uh, fishing. If we can. Oh, that would be awesome. I was saying to Josh, who's obviously uh, opening for you guys oh, on the UK. I lost tour. audio on oh. you. Hello. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Now I can. There we cool. go. Oh, great. Yeah. Well, I was speaking to him, Josh, who's playing with you guys in the UK. And, you know, it would be almost criminal to not 
be able to get some rods and be able to fish because Wales is gorgeous and it's right next oh, to the yeah. coast. Bacon Head's right next to the River Mersey, so hopefully yeah. we can arrange something to, you know, get some fishing done at some point. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I hear they like to carp fish. Yeah, in England, people do a lot of carp fishing. So, yeah, yeah. that would be great. I'm really thankful to Josh too for uh, for opening those shows, and he's going to be kind of driving us uh, because I'm not a hundred percent sure I can drive on the other side of the street. <laughs> I got to watch him do that a little bit yeah. first. But... It, it definitely takes some getting used to. But with fishing and stuff, I was just going to say, um, weirdly, I got a message off my wife's uncle, and he was like, "What type of fish is this?" And someone had released a goldfish into the local pond that he fishes out of, and it had grown to fucking huge proportions. And he didn't believe. Oh, yeah. He was like, he was like, this has to be a mutated carp. Or so I was like, no, it's a goldfish. <laughs> but you know, with fishing, where did you first kind of fall in love with it? Was that something as well through your dad or growing up, or was it something that you kind of came to later in life? Uh, kind of both, man. I started when I was a kid. Um, you know, my dad would just, my dad wasn't a big fisherman or anything, mm. but he would take us, uh, once, once in a while to this local lake that we had called Loch Lomond. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, just like, uh, Scotland, you know, there's a mm. ton of, a uh, ton of Scottish history in the mm. place that I grew up. It's actually called Ben Lomond, California. And, uh, so we would go to Loch Lomond, we would fish, uh, there once in a while and i remember as a kid catching some little bluegill and loving it you know being really yeah. excited and then uh kind of grew up didn't really do a whole lot of it but um just since 2020 really when everything kind of happened mm. and we had this downtime to kind of relax or not relax we made a record but you know yeah we weren't on the road so i had a little more time to go and i was like you know what i'm gonna get back into fishing and uh it's been an obsession ever since so yeah haven't haven't quit it yeah no it's such an emotive thing i think because a lot of people over here my granddad did it my dad did it so i grew up on it and you know i remember sure. i don't know i don't know what it's like in the u.s but over here you need like a license to fish lakes and rivers mm-hmm. or open seas kind of anyone's game so i just remember you know whatever the weather just huddled kind of in a car half parked up a curb while they're like fishing oh, yeah. into the uh, seeing stuff but it's such a connected thing i think fishing and that's one of the yeah. kind of niche things i see about kind of some of your fans is how kind of linked together it is with you know country music and fishing and people yeah. have like those two passions it's been a really wholesome thing to see so many people kind of connect with you through it it i agree man it really has been cool and it's uh it is you connect yourself to nature when you're out and you're doing something like fishing or hunting mm. or uh, even even hiking or swimming like literally any time that you're you're out in in the sunshine and you're getting outside uh i think it kind of humbles you you know and it grounds you to what really matters and i always tell people that we've got the best fans in country music because they're they're some of the most down to earth kind people that come to these shows and people are sending me pictures of, you know, fish they've caught and stuff like that. <laughs> I do think it goes hand to hand, you know, those types of people. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a grounding thing, man. I love it. I was just about to ask how many fishing posts do you get sent or tagged in a day? Oh, a day? I mean, shoot, <laughs> I'd say like a, a week. In a week, I get like at least a couple, you know. Uh, I'll get a, a couple of those. I love to see them. I always repost them. And yeah. It's very cool. No, that's so cool. And with 
like obviously coming over to the UK, hopefully you'll get to do that. But with kind of fishing in general, is there any kind of bucket list goals you want to do? I remember I always talked to my dad about hopefully one day kind of doing the heavy duty stuff off a boat with like swordfish and things. Do you have any like oh, wild yeah. like bucket list goals of those? Yeah, definitely, man. I I, I achieved one of those a while back. Uh, I got to go uh, fish for yellowfin tuna. Nice. And uh, yeah. we caught some big tuna, and that was – I've never had something fight so hard. You know, it was pretty incredible. Um, but, yeah, I would like to uh, catch Wells catfish. Mm. Um, I've heard that those are in Europe, and they grow to be, like, the size of cars pretty much. They're they're huge. Mm. So that is a bee there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd like to do that a lot. I love fly fishing, so I'd like to go fly fishing, uh, you know, at some different places in the U.S., mm. um, you know, Colorado, Montana, places like that. No, that's awesome. And that's it. Also, I'd love to catch a 20-pound bass. That's another big, <laughs> that's another big goal, but yeah. all in time. Yeah, and hopefully if you come back to the U.K. for a longer stretch, you can do some fly fishing and stuff up in Scotland because that's, you know, gorgeous as well. Wow. Yeah, I didn't know they did that. That's awesome. Mm. Yeah, but with going back to tour and stuff, I again you mentioned it before, but with him, Dennis Quaid coming out, how did that? Did he just show up at a show, or did he connect beforehand? Or yeah, so he Dennis, I guess, was friends with um, Layla, he, uh, Layla Tucker, who's opening. Mm. Uh, her her mom is Tanya Tucker, mm. and so. I guess, you know, her and Tanya were friends uh, with Dennis because he was kind of getting into music and making his own music. And they had connected and been family friends for a while. So I guess he was in town for for something. And he came with a friend of his to the show to kind of say hey to everybody, watch mm-hmm. the show. And then uh, we were getting ready to go on stage. And uh, my tour manager texted me and he was like, hey, you never believe it. Dennis Quaid just walked in. <laughs> I was like, no shit. That's crazy. And so I'm about to round the corner to go onto the stage and uh, right in front of me, Dennis walks in, you know, and I was kind of, I grew up watching, you know, all the movies that he mm. was in. So it's a weird thing. You get almost kind of starstruck yeah. for a second, but he was a nice guy and uh, he, he enjoyed our set. He was watching it the whole time and uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. No, that's, also, that's like one of the incredible things about music is it's just, you know, no matter who you are, no matter what your status is, you know, everyone enjoys music and it's incredible to see, you know, it just become like a great equalizer almost for like anyone to go and enjoy a live show. Exactly. Yeah, that's it. It's a, it's a very human thing, you know, to enjoy music. Mm. Yeah. And going back to um, Live of the Catalyst, you said obviously you did like 25 songs. Was it hard when you were like doing the selection process to kind of capture, you know, the three albums you've done since 2018 and get a good mix of those? Or was it kind of with Rolling On being the latest album you wanted to kind of showcase those in the live sets more? Or what was the kind of process, even in a live show, making sure you kind of hit the albums and showcasing the songs from your career for the last, like, few years? Yeah, that, you know, we always try to... uh to kind of throw an equal mix of, um, you know, the first record rolling on and beyond these walls, mm. uh, and to kind of mix those together 
And obviously we try to play more songs off of the newest records uh, mm. just because, you know, that's what's, that's what we're out there promoting. Uh, but it's hard because we don't always get to play all the songs and there's always somebody who's like, Hey, I, I wanted to hear St. Clair's retreat or mm. uh, coming down again. You know, it's like, Oh, we didn't play that one. Uh, so I kind of take those things to heart and keep them mm. in my head and uh, try to incorporate them on the next time around, you know, mm. with the live record, uh, I sat for a long time and just kind of worked out every song on the set, you know, which song ended in the same key as the mm. song it would go into, you know, so that it would blend. Mm. Uh, and we put an enormous amount of time and uh, rehearsal time into trying to get that show to be just tip top as, mm. as good as it can be, you know. Awesome. I'm with, obviously, all you guys are on fucking fire in, on um, this record yeah. and live how much rehearsal goes into it like a live show for when you're about to go on tour how often or when do you start rehearsing before you go on tour usually um you know usually when we're on the road throughout the year we kind of start it out and we'll do i guess you know maybe about a month three weeks two weeks before we hit the road we'll really start hitting the rehearsals hard Mm. and making sure that everything's dialed and kind of working out all the kinks. But uh, throughout the year, things kind of evolve and change mm. uh, just because we're playing so much that uh, you end up kind of rehearsing every night on the road. Yeah. And during sound check, you know, before the show, you're able to kind of, you know, throw in new songs, work mm. things out. Uh, so I think by that point that we made the live record, things had already shifted around a little bit, you know, to mm. make things more comfortable and more seamless. No, cool. I'm with kind of, are you working on new music now? Are you putting new songs into sets? You know, we, we uh, definitely are working on new music and I hope to get into the studio uh, at some point this year or early next. Uh, But we, we're kind of saving those songs, you know, I've got, Mm. I've got a new records worth of songs to record, but uh, I like to wait until they're recorded and out there uh, before we play them just so that people can really, enjoy them you know the way we we are meant to have Mm. them heard you know yeah i'm with jody she's um a huge part in kind of co-writing playing alongside you tour manager and all things like that with you know writing a song do you when do you kind of take it to her or show it to her or is it just you're humming around the house or in the van and you know it kind of collaborates organically from there yeah, that's a good question. We kind of, uh, we've kind of done it all of those ways that you described, you know, it's been over the years, it's kind of been an evolving thing. Mm. Uh, you know, when Jody and I first got together, we kind of both connected on our love for country music and just for music in general. Mm. She also mm. loved punk rock and rock and roll and blues and uh, a lot of the same stuff that I liked. And so we would just go on a, uh, we would drive, you know, go on road trips or camping trips or whatever, like, you know, people when they first get together do. Mm. And uh, we would just write in the in the car or in the van. We would just write quite a bit, you know, like her ideas and her songs that she had started. I would read through and then be like, oh, that's a great idea. And we'd kind of collaborate mm. that way and vice versa. And nowadays we're on the road so much that, it's kind of hard to write on the road, but when we get home, that's usually when all the the flood of inspiration kind of comes. And mm. uh, 
I'll just kind of, if she's doing something else, I'll call her into the room and uh, be like, Hey, I've got, I've got this idea here. You know, she's really quick to uh, be able to collaborate. You know, she's a great songwriter and has really good uh, Mm. sensibility, you know? No. Awesome. And when, how did you guys meet? Uh, We met at a place called bandit town in uh, California. It's, it's up in the mountains and uh, you know, Whitey Morgan. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's uh Whitey Morgan and his uh his gal uh Jen, it's their place that they owned and they mm. do shows and events up there over the years. So I was playing up there at Bandit Town and Jody was tattooing because <laughs> she used to be a, a tattoo artist for a lot of years. And uh we met up there. I saw her and uh I was like I want to get to know I want to get to know her, you know? Mm. And so I went up and I got tattooed by her and that's kind of the rest is history. You know, that's, we just hit it off. That's awesome. What was the tattoo? I'll show you. <laughs> it's this one right here. It's a little rooster. Oh, amazing. Oh, that's so sick. Yeah. She did the little rooster. Yeah. Ryan, and when... Kind of because obviously I've been dealing with it to book these shows. When did she kind of take over that role as well? Because I feel, you know, in life and in music, you know, you can only really trust people as far as you can throw them. So to have this kind of partnership, it just kind of makes sense for it to become not necessarily all encompassing, but you know, you're not going to trust anyone else more to be able to handle your best kind of interests. And so when did Jody kind of take over those responsibilities and things? Yeah, Jody, she kind of took things over around, uh, really around 2018, 19. Um, you know, Jody had been helping, you know, kind of from the time we got together, even 2017. Uh, but she officially, I think, started taking over on a lot of that stuff, like management, mm-hmm. um, 2018. And, you know, Jody and I were screen printing our own shirts, uh, staying up all night to make sure they were dry in time mm. for the show the next day. And Jody just works her butt off all the time, uh, even still today. I mean, the workload has gotten more and more and more, the more success we've got. And luckily now, you know, she's been able to find uh, we have a good booking agent. His name's Josh. He mm. helps out a lot. And uh, we've had help, other help over the years. But, uh, but yeah, Jody is the motor under the hood of jesse daniel that kind of keeps everything running and uh she's got the one of the strongest work ethics out of anybody i've ever met you know it's she doesn't quit so uh you said it you said it best man as far as you know you can't trust anybody as far as you can throw them it really is a blessing to have you know somebody who cares and loves you uh that you also work with you know because yeah, nobody's going to promote you better than yourself or, no. you know, your own family. So we just try to keep our circle small and uh, just work it that way, kind of organically. No, definitely. And I love that it's, you know, obviously coming from punk and being influenced by that, the mm-hmm. DIY ethos is so tied to punk music and it's so easily translatable to, you know, any type of music, any type of country from screen printing to how you promote yourself. It's really cool oh, yeah. to see those kind of lessons taken away. I'm put into different genres like you guys are doing. I I agree. Yeah, it definitely is. You know, that's, that's what we've done since day one with our, our label die true records. I mean, like I said, it started with us just screen printing shirts 
in our house and now it's grown into uh you know the the label that we put all our music out and it's it's a business that we're able to to you know make a living mm. um off of you know and i'm very very thankful for that that we're able to play music and uh pay the bills you know <laughs> keep keep on making records with die true records what was the kind of cars behind that obviously you've talked about like this diy punk ethic was that the same thing because i know a lot of artists starting out they kind of have this dream of record labels coming in saving them and kind of doing all the work for them was yeah obviously you've started your own label to bring your own music out what was the kind of decision to do that was it you know not even entertaining labels and things and just going it needs to be mine you know i think uh yeah like what was the thought process with that mm, yeah man we from the beginning you know that we we were definitely those people that we kind of had the idea of um you know i hope a, a label comes to uh i hope a label comes to our rescue you know mm. and and uh, and helps us out with like getting our records out and everything but but we never uh sorry my cat is here to say hello <laughs> This is Tater. Ah, awesome. But uh, yeah, from the beginning, I mean, we always wanted a uh, a label, you know, to to pick us up and to do mm. that. Especially starting out, because you're kind of naive and you have this idea that that they are going to save you and, and yeah, you know, help you out with all that stuff. But um, kind of as we progressed and learned more about the industry, I kind of learned that uh you know, the, the traditional format of a, of a label who's like, all right, kid, here's your big chance. Here's a check mm-hmm. for a million dollars and, and this and that. It's like, those days are kind of long over yeah. and the deals that they are making now are either really bad for the artists or you're signing away all your masters. Yeah. You don't barely own anything that you do. Uh, or people are just remaining independent. But uh, the good thing about now is there's a lot of guys out there that are absolutely killing it that have kind of helped to reestablish this uh like you said like a diy yeah. kind of eat the that uh, guys like sturgill simpson i remember mm. when he put out his first two records uh those were huge you know those were just very uh, inspirational records and to me because here's this guy he doesn't have a label he's just doing it with a distribution you know yeah. that's it and he's having this success in the underground country realm. Uh, so I've kind of taken inspiration from guys like that. Uh, BJ Barham from uh, yeah. American Aquarium. He's a friend of mine and he's given me some solid advice as far as what to do and not to do. Cause he's done everything totally independent yeah. and he, uh, he's making a good living doing it. And so, um, you know, I think these days that's kind of the goal is just to be able to keep building while doing it 100%, you know, independent and retaining all of the rights to our songs. And I don't want anybody to ever tell me what kind of hat to wear, or what, you know, that's, we, we could never, uh, we're too stubborn for that. So <laughs> the way we got to do it. Yeah. No, definitely. I think that's the thing to do, but with kind of your label, is it, distribution is the thing that you kind of get outside of because i remember i pre-ordered which yeah. kind of blew my mind i pre-ordered your record through my local record shop in liverpool which 
you know, to have an independent label and an independent record be able to be bought on the other side of the world, it's oh, a fucking yeah. incredibly beautiful thing. Is distribution one of the things you get kind of held with via another service or something? Yeah, yeah, we do. So that's uh, the distribution we've done through uh, on the last, well, I should say, rolling on and beyond these walls. We've done distribution through Soundly Music. Mm. And uh, they're kind of similar to somebody like 30 Tigers, mm. you know, who uh, they're, they're a label, but they're a distribution yeah. uh, label. So um, those companies are you know really all you need as far as uh that goes and they've helped us with the distribution and getting those records out to uh you know places like the uk and all Mm. over the all over the world and as an artist that's that's all you really want you know if if you're already doing everything else yourself and you're you're making your way with it um you just kind of need somebody to get it out there and get it out to those record shops and so, you know, they've helped us with that. And then the Die True is just kind of Jody and I um, basically working, uh, you know, on everything from design to packaging the record mm. to shipping. Jody does all the shipping uh, still, which is a pretty crazy task because mm. we have a lot of orders that come in. Uh, but the, she handles all the kind of day-to-day label stuff. No, that's awesome. I saw... You did like two recent t-shirt designs that are absolutely killer with kind of how you envision designs and things. Do you have not necessarily any influences, but is there any kind of art styles and things that you love? Cause you have such a great, like neo-traditional style things, which I assume might be because of Jody's like kind of tattooing background and a mutual mm-hmm. love there. Yeah, definitely. You know, Jody is just such a good uh, artist in general that she has, she has a really clear vision of like what's what's cool, you know, to her and, mm. and what, you know, she doesn't think is necessarily cool. And um, she's been able to kind of steer the ship as far as like, you know, what the designs look like. And even mm. the artists, even the other artists who've uh, designed stuff, uh, a lot of people like myself, I'm not really artistically talented in that way, you know, with visual mm. art. So I might email somebody to make me a shirt and then the first draft, I'd be like, all right, that looks good, you know, but she knows exactly what she wants. Yeah. She's able to be like, hey, can we try a different color gradient or or this or that? And, uh, you know, when it, whether it's her making the, the designs herself or kind of showing somebody else how to do it, she's a, she's a pretty masterful uh, artist, you know. Mm. Oh, that's so cool. And again, it must be good to be able to obviously have someone who knows you so well be involved in not, not just like the songwriting process, but kind of everything to have that kind of artistic eye to create that kind of follow through mm-hmm. vision must just be so cool. It is, man. I'm very thankful for it. You know, Jody and I are just a good team. We kind of work work well together and it's uh, it's helped. You know, I also I love the the merch that we've made. And uh, both of our idea with music and with merch and like literally everything we put out, it's like, I don't want to do anything that I wouldn't wear myself, you know, or, uh, or I don't want to make music that I wouldn't listen to myself, you know, the Mm. music that I'd want to hear. So that we just try to keep doing that. And that's kind of our, our mantra, you know? No, right on. Do you have any designs on like the times you've been 
kind of putting out t-shirts and merch are there any like top three designs that you distinctly remember being like this is cool as fuck oh yeah yeah the i'd say one of my favorites was uh jody drew an eagle tee that we had last year and i think the year before mm. and you know she hand drew this this eagle and then uh you know we put it on a shirt and it was just beautiful really intricate and cool and uh, people loved that shirt and that was one of my favorites i really love the uh truck tee that we just put out yeah. with the got another eagle on it and the, the old semi truck um i love that that style of t-shirt you know and then um back in the day the guy who designed uh who designed the record uh matt sabbath mm. he did uh, he's actually from england i think london pretty sure he designed the self-titled artwork for that mm. record oh cool and we put we put that on a shirt and uh that remains one of my favorite pieces of art just because it's so nostalgic it was yeah. kind of our first first uh you know take into country music and uh so that'll always be one of my favorites no that's so cool i'm with kind of that being your first take into country music, was there any, when you were creating that album, was there any kind of trepidation or worry about how you thought it might be received? Because you've got such a strong kind of identity and you're so set in who you are. You Obviously, it's my kind of country music. That's, you know, what you do. Was there any worry about people not getting it necessarily or, you know, not being understood as what you wanted it to be? Oh, definitely. I think, you know, that's, that's like something that art artists or musicians or whoever you're always, you know, you always kind of wonder if, um, are people going to like this? You know, that's one of those almost self doubt thoughts that will creep in once in a while. And, uh, you know, that's gotten less and less for me over the years, like as I've gotten more comfortable, but Mm. I remember back then it was a really vulnerable, uh, feeling thing to put out a record and, uh, all I knew was that, you know, we had done all we all we could do with that record and we mm. had made it to the best of my ability at the time, you know, with it being my first first, uh, you know, solo self-titled record I'd ever made. And uh, I just remember sending it out to everybody and being like, all right, let's <laughs> let's hope everybody likes it, you know. Uh, but, yeah, that's definitely been a learned thing, I think, over the years that I've gotten more and more uh, confident in what we're doing and yeah. more of a sense of identity, you know? And has, cause even in that album came out in 2018, it's been five years now, even in that five years, it seems the country scene in the U S and internationally has really solidified into a new beast compared to what it was 10 or 12 years ago. I know. It seems you were kind of ahead of the curve on what that wave was about to be. So it must feel almost like vindicated to see what's coming out now. And, you know, Mm -hmm. where you are with obviously Live at the Catalyst being almost like a victory lap of support. Was it interesting to see that grow in the last five years? Man, it it has been really cool to see that grow just because I totally agree with you. I feel like the the whole kind of worldwide scene and realm of country music right now is in such a better place, I think, than it was five years ago or even 10 years ago, mm. like there was a lot of good stuff coming out 10 years ago. Um, but it was definitely more underground. And that's when guys like Sturgill yeah. uh, and, you know, Chris Stapleton, guys who at the time were not 
insanely successful. They had had some success, but when that stuff really started to blow up, I think it just kind of shook everything up Yeah, and made way for guys like Tyler Childers, you know, and, uh, and all of these like, you know, new artists, even though they've been doing it a long time, um, it kind of paved the way for, for that to happen. And, uh, yeah, I feel like we just started at a really cool time, you know, put, putting that record out because I've got to see it kind of grow and see it go from people listening to just straight pop music, you know, pop country music. Yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's like a lot of people like it, uh, to listening to Tyler Childers at the bar, you know, now yeah. like you go into a bar and every kid, you know, from the age of 18 to, to 65 year old man, you know, people all know white house road. Yeah. And uh, that's a traditional sounding country song. It sounds like a Wayland tune, you know, and mm. that's to me, that is a victory right there. Just uh, to be a part of this time in country music with guys like him and uh, all the other great artists. Um, sorry for the long-winded answer it's just nope. yeah something i'm totally passionate about i love i love being a part of this time right now in yeah. country yeah no it's that's exactly how i feel because i remember it was maybe 2015 2016 and i was in a job i fucking hated and i was sat on my lunch break like scrolling through social media and i found like i think it was like a rolling stone article and it yeah. was a profile on Chris Stapleton, Sturgill Simpson, and Jason Isbell. As Isbell like, I read... Man, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. But did you read... I assume... Did you see that article as well? I think maybe eight years ago now. Man, that is so crazy that you say that because I was working a job that I absolutely hated. And uh, I was a cashier at a grocery store. And I remember at that time I was doing that. And I remember... Uh, they had a little, you know, rack of magazines of Rolling Stones. And I remember flipping through it and seeing, uh, you know, that article and being like, wow, this is, this is cool. Cause at that point I had already been listening to some of that, you know, those, new, those newer yeah. guys, uh, or, you know, not newer guys again, they've been doing it a yeah. long time. This was the first I was hearing of them. And, uh, it was hugely inspiring, man. Yeah. I was like, wow, here's these dudes making it, uh, into Rolling Stone. That was yeah. the magazine, right? Rolling Stone. I, I'm pretty sure it was, yeah. Yeah, I thought it was too. Uh, but yeah, that was that's so funny, man. Same thing, working a dead end job, and I was like, man, there's hope. Yeah, you know? yeah. But I remember I'd known about Stapleton because of the Steel Drivers, but I hadn't heard yeah. his bellow stage before that. And I remember it was a complete game changer. I was like, I'm gonna fuck, start listening to these people. I'm gonna pick up a guitar and start doing it my fucking self. And it's just been yeah. interested in like that the eight years since that article, which I might start asking people how many people read that as well while they were sitting in a dead end job to see yeah. from there to now has just been an incredible change in the scene. Yeah, definitely. You know, and yeah, to to, to kind of tie it all in, like the, there are those guys who kind of paved the way for that. Then there's like the wave of, of guys like Tyler Childers who were out there um, shortly thereafter having just massive records. Uh, and it's different from, like you said, even five years ago, because I feel like now to have success, depending on what you think, you know, success is to you. Uh, to me, success is like if we're selling out rooms, you know, consistently, if we're having people come out to these shows and buying records and singing the words to the songs, yeah. 
and it keeps getting better. That's success to me, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but I think it's possible that success is possible because of the kind of renaissance that happened, uh, 10 years ago, five years ago, it's just been kind of building. And I think things are coming to a head now where it's, uh, I hope it just keeps getting cooler. You know, we're just going to keep putting out good country music and hopefully it gets more popular and, uh, yeah, proud to contribute to it. Yeah, man. Well, I think a sold out London show, a tribute like here is the proof in the pudding of it being pretty fucking cool. Cause I know a lot of people are excited to see you over in the UK. Oh, I can't wait, man. That's going to be so fun. And there we have it. That's episode 69 of the Rogue Country podcast in the bag. Thank you so much for listening. Please leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure you go see Jesse Daniel on his first ever UK tour in August. It is going to be phenomenal. Get your tickets through our link tree. And yeah, in the meantime, keep doing the things you love. Keep supporting the things you love. Peace.